0: Thanks for tuning into High Point Assembly's podcast where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. But I want to start this morning by asking you a question. Is anybody here tired? (laughs) You know, maybe not. Maybe you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and you said, I'm so full of life and vitality that I even scare myself. God bless you if that is you. But the fact is, you know, we live in a world that uh, where people are weary. And I'm not talking about the kind of weariness that comes from strenuous exercise, nor is it a weariness that can be simply corrected by a good night's sleep. I'm talking about something that is much different. I'm talking about soul fatigue, a weariness of spirit. When you're in this condition, you know that you're not living up to the kind of life that God created you to live. You're not becoming the kind of person that God longed for you to be you're not living out your deepest values or your beliefs. And it's not because you don't want to, it's simply because you lack the energy to do it. I believe moving through our life at warp speed and combined with our culture's frantic way of living, it's one of the deadliest enemies to our spiritual life. Millions of of people will never reach their spiritual potential or come to know and trust God in the way that they need to come to know and to trust God. They won't devote time developing their giftedness that God has placed inside of them. And this won't happen because they're shaking their fist at God. It happens because they're too fatigued to follow him. Today as we continue in our series called Grow, where we've been looking at key scriptures in the book of Psalms, it's a bit of a bunch of scriptures that have showed us how to stay spiritually strong, and therefore receives God's blessings in our lives. And I've said many, many times that we need to be spiritually strong now more than ever, because our world is very, very weak. But here's a profound truth about our spiritual lives, the evil one probably won't convince most of us to deliberately disobey God. So instead, he'll, he'll work to make us busy. He'll work to make us unfocused. He will work hard at making us so exhausted that we never connect with, our, with Almighty God. But no matter what area he works on in your life, what happens is we will miss out on God's will, and we will fail to become the person that God wants us to become. And many of us have accepted this soul fatigue as the norm. You feel like it's something you can't escape. You were just born into this world. It's the way it is. We feel this need to to continue to run, to be fatigued our entire lifetime until we drop dead one day. But if there's one thing that you will take away from this message this morning, let it be this. This is not God's will for my life, and it's not God's will for your life. Jesus came to teach us a better way to live. In fact, one day, he looked at a group of people who were tired, just like many of us. And he said in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls.' But you need to understand something. Long before Jesus spoke those words, God had already voiced his intent for our lives. Our scripture reference for today's message is written by David in the book of Psalm. In fact, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 23. This is a very popular Psalm, one of probably the most popular Psalm in the entire book. But when you actually take the time to study it, What you will do and what you will find is direction and promises from God to every believer that we really need to hold on to. Psalm 23 verses 1 through 3 is what I'm going to read today. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. Today we are going to seriously pursue these words and learn how to turn to the Good Shepherd, to have our weary souls restored, as we talk about two main things. The first thing being, how do you know if you struggle with soul fatigue? What are the symptoms? And secondly, how does God restore human souls? I'm going to talk to you this morning about five signs of soul fatigue. And while doing so, I'd like you to do a little spiritual checkup and see if any of these symptoms describe you. Sign number one is this. You have a constant sense of feeling rushed. It's an ongoing feeling that there's just not enough hours in the day to accomplish all of the many things that you need to get done. Not enough time to fulfill all the responsibilities, all of the obligations, and all of the items on your agenda. There just isn't enough time. This is almost an epidemic of our time, of our age, of our day. In fact, we are so obsessed with time that we will buy almost anything if it promises to speed things up. We send packages by Federal Express. There's a cellular phone company called Sprint. There's a gas station chain called the Quick Trip. We diet with Slim Fast and we wear swimsuits made by a company named Speedo. We're all about speed. We're all about efficiency here in the good old United States. And yet we are tortured by this sense that the important things in life are going undone. Do you ever feel that way when you get to the end of your day? Do you ever wrestle with this sense of being rushed, do you find it difficult to enjoy everyday moments because you're preoccupied with everything that you've still got to do? Well, that's sign number one. Sign number two is you find, it, you find difficulty in making decisions. Our culture is obsessed with having so many options that we live in what experts call, call choice overload. I was thinking about the choices that my daughter has had to make growing up versus what I had to make growing up. It's crazy. When I was a kid, just taking one example, it seemed like there were like five types of shampoo on the market maybe when I was a a child. But today, there are over 1,260 different kinds of shampoos. There's shampoo for dry hair, oily hair, limp hair, straight hair, curly hair, damaged hair, dandruff hair, the list goes on and on. There are shampoos with egg in it, shampoos with beer in it, shampoos that make your hair smell like any flower or any scent you may want. There are tens of thousands of skincare products on the market, and every company is telling you that theirs is the very best. Thirty years ago, there were three television networks, but now with satellite and cable television, you can subscribe to hundreds of different channels. We are simply bombarded with decision after decision, and it literally wears us out. So how many of you wrestle with indecision? How many of you aren't sure? (laughs) Sign number three, you have a surplus of information, but a deficit of wisdom. Sometimes I get worn out because I feel like there's so much out there that I should be mastering, but I'm not mastering. And one of those, as an example, is keeping up with technology. A person in my position needs to know a little bit about technology. Thankfully, I have a young staff. And working with the young staff, they have showed me how really out of touch I am with technology. I'm just not keeping up with it the way that I should. And let's face it, technology is, uh, has made us the most informed people in any era of time. But let me ask you a question. Are we the wisest? I think we will certainly go down in history as one of the fastest learning areas of all time, but will people look back on us and say, now that was a group of men and a woman, women who had great wisdom for living. I submit to you this morning that we have confused information with wisdom. And the writer of Proverbs is very clear about this, when he writes in Proverbs eight eleven. for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Notice the writer doesn't say that information is more precious than rubies. Why? Because wisdom is about knowing how to live, and then going to our heavenly Father and asking him to give us the strength and the ability to live in that way. By the way, wisdom comes slowly. I'm reminded of a crock pot instead of a microwave. Wisdom doesn't come in a microwave manner. Therefore, wisdom will not come into a mind that is constantly rushed and constantly fatigued. So are you living with an increased sense of wisdom these days, or are you on information overload? Sign number four, you have a sense of stagnation in your relationship with God. I want you to honestly rate yourself on this one. Are things sort of stagnant in your spiritual life? Do any of these following statements I'm about to make resonate within your heart and your spirit? Here's one. When it comes to worshiping God, if I'm totally honest, it's pretty sporadic. Or many times when our church gathers, I'm not there. But when I am there, even then, I'm really not engaged. Or this one, my prayers are mostly hurried and on the run. My mind is not being molded and shaped by being immersed in the Word of God. There are leadings and promptings from the Holy Spirit that just kind of bounce off of me throughout the day, and I know that my heart is not yielding to those leadings. I feel like I'm still wrestling with the same sin and destructive patterns that I wrestled with the day that I got saved years ago. I feel like my life is going by so fast that I get so, def- so fatigued that my Christian character is not developing the way I want. Those are all statements and, and de- variations of those statements that are a good sign that you are dealing with spiritual stagnation. Sign number five, you have a decreased ability to love. All of us want to be a more loving people. I don't know of anybody that wakes up one morning and decides that they want to be less loving. But soul fatigue is a barrier to truly loving the way that God has asked us to love, because you just don't feel like you have the energy to love. I think every parent knows the kind of energy that it takes in order to parent well, and all of us, I think, understand that it takes energy to maintain healthy relationships. We have all faced those moments when the people that we love are in need of some kind of, of, of attention, or they need our presence, or, or they need a good conversation with us. But at times we feel like we are unable to give it to them. It's not because we don't love them. We do love them. It's we just don't have it to give. Our hearts are in the right place, but, but we can't give it because we're running on empty. We lack the energy and the strength to love in the way that we need to love. So soul fatigue is serious business, ladies and gentlemen. It creates people who are constantly rushed, indecisive, superficial, disconnected from God, and too fatigued to love others. And we live in a culture that seems to produce people like this on an assembly line kind of a process people filled with obligations and pressures and time crunches. And sooner or later, you find your heart is growing smaller. You discover that your spirit is withering. Your sense of joy is evaporating. Your ability to experience wonder and awe is disappearing. And slowly, you are turning into a person from whom the life is getting squeezed out of. You never intended for it to be that way. It's just the way this world works, if you drift in your relationship with Christ long enough. But there's a better way to live life spiritually, and wise people have entered into this new way of life. It's a a way of living that gives life, and doesn't steal life. John said in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think I said John said that. I apologize. Jesus said that in John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. King David was a man who lived in such a way where he got his soul restored regularly. And keep in mind, he was a very busy guy. He was a mighty king, a mighty warrior who had more pressure in his life than we could ever fathom. Yet this was the way that David lived his life. So let's go back to our scripture reference written by this king in Psalm 23 verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Then he makes this remarkable statement, he restores my soul. I want you to notice that David makes four statements about this new way of life. And each one of these four statements involves a choice that David has to make along the road of his life. And in this coming week, in the coming months and years ahead, you are going to have to make these decisions along your road of life as well. So this morning I want to offer you one word derived from each one of these statements for you to hold on to. And my challenge is that that you would follow David's wisdom on each and every one of these points, because if you do, the results will be what is written in that final line of this scripture text. He restores my soul, and you will live differently this week and in the weeks to come. So I'm not just going to walk you through these four statements, but I, I want you, as we go through them, to capture the wisdom of David so that you can live this out, for the next seven days and beyond. Statement number one, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I want you to ask yourself this question, is the Lord really your shepherd? Have you truly put your life into his all capable hands? Because if sheep belong to the shepherd, the shepherd will put his mark on that sheep to signify, this is my sheep. And the sheep will follow their shepherd. So the question is, do you truly allow God to shepherd you each and every day? If not, well then here's the alternative. The alternative is, I have no shepherd, therefore I will go through life with constant anxiety, knowing that I'm on my own. I will face all of life's issues, all of life's troubles, crisis, including death itself, on my very own. Ladies and gentlemen, living life without the Good Shepherd is a life of unceasing worry. You'll worry about your future, you'll worry about your children, you'll worry about your job, you'll worry about your health, and whatever crisis you're in. Show of hands, how many of you ever worry? Now, for those of you who don't raise your hand, you're a very unique breed of people Indeed. I wonder if you have come to realize yet that worry is not a constructive, life-giving way of dealing with your future. It's just not. Worry literally chokes the life out of people. And, And we see that worry on the faces of people throughout our day, people who are marked with chronic anxiety. There's a better way to live. And David says it's to live in a constant care and protection of the Good Shepherd. Remember, David was a shepherd himself before he was king. He knew that the fate of his sheep depended on the quality of his shepherding. Author Philip Keller was a modern day shepherd who wrote about this 23rd psalm based upon his observations of his own sheep. This is what he writes. He says, Sheep do not just take care of themselves, sheep require more attention and meticulous care than any other class of livestock. That's a nice way of saying sheep are stupid, and they need, they need a shepherd. He goes on, he says, a good shepherd is always thinking about his sheep. He's always asking, what do they need? He's always guiding them, caring for them, protecting them. Well, that's what God desires for us to see in him and to do for us. I invite you during the next seven days, if you really want to live under the shepherd's care, to have the God of the universe watching out for you, and allow him to in fact care for you. And so the one word that I want you to take from this this first statement of David is this, ask. Ask the good shepherd. In James 4 chapter 2 it says, or verse 2 it says, you do not have, because you do not ask God. So this week, whenever you feel inclined to worry, before you give in to that ceaseless worry, stop and remember that the Good Shepherd is there for you. And then instead of worrying, make this week an adventure in asking the Good Shepherd. God, I'm worried about my kids, so I'm asking you to protect them. God, I'm worried about my job. I'm asking you to give me the strength To get this project done. God, I'm worried about this decision. I'm asking you to give me the wisdom and the discernment to make the right one. God, I'm worried about my health. I'm asking you to heal my body. So instead of worrying this week, just turn your worry into prayer, and start asking the Good Shepherd. And I guarantee you that the Good Shepherd will be there for you. He really will. The second statement David makes, I shall not want. The idea here is because our Lord is such a good shepherd, who cares and who provides for me, then I can go through life as a joyful, grateful, and contented person. Wouldn't it be great if if we could live as a content people? What's the alternative? To live with chronic discontent. It's a never-ending quest for satisfaction. And make no mistake about it, we live in a culture that produces severe discontentment and at the same time produces insatiable desire for more. Some of the brightest and highest paid people who work on Madison Avenue devote most of their waking hours trying to convince you and I of two things. First of all, you shouldn't be discontented, and secondly, they offer their solution. Contentment is just one purchase away. And when you turn on your TV set, you you see thousands of products screaming out to you, use me, buy me, try me, drive me, wear me, put me in your hair. These products scream out you'll be happier if you have a nicer car, better clothes, whiter teeth, new appliances. You need to have abs of steel, sleeker thighs, and, and bigger shoulders. You'd be happy if you were larger in the northern hemisphere and a little bit smaller around the equator. And there are infomercials out there who advertise exercise machines and treadmills that promise to do all of this for you for 24 equal payments, interest free. But Let me tell you what the most powerful treadmill of life is. It's the treadmill of insatiable desire. So if you get on the treadmill of discontent, you'll run as fast as you can, and you'll run as long as you can, but you'll never reach your destination, that destination called satisfaction. It'll look like you're getting close, so you'll run harder, and you'll run faster, and you'll run longer, and you'll wear yourself out, and you'll find that it leads you to nowhere. But there's a better way to live. And the Good Shepherd knows exactly what you need And exactly what you don't need. He knows what would be good for you, and He knows what would be bad for you. And He longs for you to put your life into His hands so He can shepherd you. So the one word for you to remember, or for living in contentment is this, simplify. Simplify for just one week. If you try it for one week, just focus on simplifying your life. Anybody here got clutter in your life? If you're tired of of a life cluttered with junk, Dr. Paul Pearsall wrote advice to people who wrestle with clutter. And this is what he says. Go ahead and leave stuff out. There's nothing sacred about always putting things away. If you find yourself in a hide-the-stuff panic when there's an unexpected knock at your door, you probably just have too much stuff. Maybe your visitor could take some of this stuff when he or she leaves. Leave your stuff out as a type of perpetual estate sale for visitors to shop through. Maybe they'll take some stuff off your hands. If you don't want to make the bed, shut the bedroom door. Pretend it's made sometimes. Allow spoons to go in the fork pile at sometimes. Write the word joy in the dust on the table sometimes. Dusting is only a process of small particle rearrangement we have way too much clutter. And some of us need to go into our closet, and find all that clutter, and get rid of it. Go out into your garage. You know that big black hole that contains every, all that stuff you didn't know what to do with? It ends up out in your garage. Go into the garage, find that clutter, and throw it away. Get rid of it. Give it to somebody. Look at your financial commitments. Find the clutter in that, and cut it out of your life. What about nightly routines? Find all the clutter and just learn to live simply and learn to relax. What would your life look like if, for seven days, if for one week, you made a commitment and instead of going home and thinking, well, I got to make sure I get catch- caught up on all the recorded episodes of my favorite TV program, I've got to get caught up on Facebook. God forbid I miss Facebook for a week. Catch up on the news. And what if instead we simply said, God, I'm a sheep, and you are my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. I refuse to go through life on an endless frenzy expecting some external thing to bring my soul happiness and satisfaction. I'm going to live this week simply. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I'm telling you that in a world of chronic discontentment to go through life with contentment would be an oasis of sanity. And I encourage you to start this week by simplifying your life. The third statement David makes, he's talking about the Good Shepherd here, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What's the alternative to lying down? Frantic activity and busyness and overcommitted lifestyle. David uses interesting language the good shepherd makes me lie down. Have you ever seen a kid bouncing off the walls who, who who needed rest but didn't want to rest? They say sheep can be just like that. Sometimes sheep won't lie down to rest even when they need to, and generally there's a cause behind the sheep's restlessness. Philip Keller continues to write about sheep. He says this, There are several conditions under which a sheep will not lie down. Sheep are timid creatures. As long as they're afraid, they won't lie down. Because they're social creatures, when there is tension in the flock, when two sheep are butting heads about who gets to be higher on the pecking order, they will not lie down and rest. Because they're creatures of appetite, if they are hungry, they will not lie down. They won't lie down until they are free of fear, free from friction and free from hunger. Sounds like sheep are a lot like us. Some of us are afraid of what has happened, or even more afraid of things that have yet to happen that we assume are going to happen, not in our favor. Some have relational conflict, and the friction is so strong that it leaves you completely exhausted. Some of us are so hungry for love and for intimacy and for recognition and for success that it just leads into all this frantic activity and there's no rest with that. Keller continues. He says, "What sheep what gives sheep assurance to rest in the present is the presence of the shepherd." When there is a really good shepherd, then the sheep realize they have nothing to fear because someone is protecting them sheep grow quite confident in the presence of a good shepherd. In the presence of the good shepherd, we can talk about our fears, and he will bring us peace. And and, and in our, even in our relational conflicts, he can bring us wisdom. When I say, God, I am feeling empty, or I am feeling lonely, or I am feeling hurt, he says, just remain with me for a while. Just stay here with me for a while and I'll fill your heart with something different. And here's the good news. Wherever you go this week, remember that you are in the presence of the Good Shepherd. That means even in the rocky terrain of your life, it can become like a green pasture where you restore your soul. Think about that. Whenever you go through a tough spot this week, it can become a green pasture, a place in where your soul can be restored. In fact, some of you are tense right now. Why don't you just take a deep breath, breathe in with me, and let it go. Let your shoulders down. Let that tenseness leave your body. God's children can live this way. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 127 too, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. So one word to hold on here is rest rest. Because the truth is, worry and activity and achievement are a regular part of life. But if you're doing it in a frantic way that robs you of rest, it's all being done in vain. What would your life be like if you got enough sleep this week? What kind of person would you be if you just relaxed this week? Well, that can actually happen. But you'll need to do a few things differently. You'll need to, number one, ask, Number two, you'll need to simplify your life. And number three, you'll need to rest. And here's statement number four He leads me beside still waters. Another translation says, He leads me beside quiet waters. Apparently, sheep get real nervous when they're around fast moving, noisy water because if they fall in, their their wool will be saturated and it's very easy for them to drown in the current. So, sheep want to be near quiet and still waters. Conversely, we are a culture that is the noisiest in the history of all mankind. And even when we want and say we want to escape the noise, we really don't. We just endure the noise, because we're addicted to noise. Some of us go home and the first thing we do is turn on something. Even if we're not listening to it or watching it, we turn it on because we we have this need for background noise in our lives. A survey asked people, why do you have a television in your home? You want to get, guess what the number one answer was? Number one answer, noise. People want to have noise in the background. And a word about TV, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, it is dominating far too much of our day. Sixty percent of Americans watch TV while eating dinner. There was a time in the United States where families got together. The dinner time was a time where everything was shut off, where we had a meal together, and we would talk to one another about what went on during our day, what we were thinking, what we were feeling. But most families don't do that anymore. The average American watches over four hours of television every single day. So when you hit the age of 72, the average American has has experienced 12 solid years of sitting in front of a television set. Think about that. When you become 72, you want to look back on your life and realize that I spent 12 of my 72 years sitting in front of a TV. They say that the average child at age six will have invested more time in watching television than speaking with his or her father over the father's entire lifetime. And I can assure you that that's not on the list of goals that any loving father has for any of his children. Families entire lives revolve around television and and they don't even realize it. Family therapist Dolores Curran studied one family's communication habits and she documented the two most commonly used phrases in that particular family. The family was shocked to discover the two phrases used most during the time that she was with them for an entire week was, what's on TV and move of all the words that were spoken to each other, the most frequently ones were not, I love you, or how are you doing, or tell me about your day. The two phrases were what's on television and move. And the real damage of television is not necessarily what happens on the screen, but it's what will not happen because of the screen. People don't spend much time working on relationships anymore talking and sharing and loving and doing the things that the Scriptures show us that we needed to do, the things that God created us to do. And so here's the irony. Because we are tired, we watch TV thinking it's going to make us feel better. But let me ask you a question. Does TV ever restore your soul? When was the last time you woke up in the morning after having watched TV, from the time you got home from work to the time that you went to bed You watched Fox News, you watched NCIS, you ended with Late Night with Jimmy Kimmel, and and you said to yourself, Boy, do I feel energized. I'm so glad I invested the evening the way that I did. And what's so ironic to me is when you watch television, you see people engaged in all kinds of activities imaginable under, under your thinking, anything you can think of. They eat together. They love each other. They're, they're hating each other. They're working. They're playing. They're killing each other. All this stuff is on television. But what's the one thing that you never see while you're watching TV? You never see people watching TV. Have you? You don't watch TV and watch people watch TV because it's boring. When you're watching TV, you are not relating with anybody. You're not caring. You're not growing. You're not sharing. You're watching life instead of living life. So here's the two final words to apply to your life this week, be quiet, be quiet. In the Scriptures there is an activity that people who are serious about pursuing God practice. It's called fasting. How many of you have ever fasted before? Fasting is simply denying yourself of food for a period of time, a designated period of time and taking all of that focus and that attention and that yearning that your physical body is giving towards wanting you to fulfill that hunger and putting all of that attention and energy and focus upon your heavenly Father through prayer, through studying God's Word. But I think if Jesus were walking the earth today like he did over 2,000 years ago, he would talk about the need for another kind of fast, a media fast. To abstain from all the noise and all the static that goes on behind the scenes for a while. So here's my challenge to you. Some of you need to declare war on all of the noise going on in your life. So my challenge to you is to go cold turkey for two or three days, starting tomorrow morning, fast from all the electronic noise. No TV, no internet no social media, just go cold turkey and let things be quiet. You're overwhelming me with the look on your faces right now. When you're in your car tomorrow, instead of cranking up the radio, leave the radio off and allow there to be silence in that car with you. It may be uncomfortable. At first you may say, this is an odd feeling, but God will be there with you. And if you learn to practice being quiet, the Good Shepherd will speak to you. The reason we don't hear from the Good Shepherd is because there's noise, and he can't break through, because we're focused on everything else. I can't tell you how desperately God wants to shepherd you. He desired us so much that he sent his Son to this earth to live among us, to teach us a different way to live. And again, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So how do I know that God is a good shepherd? Well, here's what Jesus himself said in John 10, 11 through 13. He said, I am the good shepherd, The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. When a threat comes to a flock, a hireling just runs away, but the good shepherd will lay down his life For the sheep. And Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross, and he laid down his life for you, and he laid down his life for me. That's how badly he wants to shepherd us. So the big question is, will you let him? Will you make this week an adventure in being shepherded by God? Instead of worrying, will you just ask for the good shepherd to relieve you of those worries? If you find that you're discontent, well then start to simplify your life. If you find you're running around at a frantic pace, will you get some rest? If you're filling your mind with the noise of this world, will you just be quiet, and will you listen? Because if you will, the Good Shepherd will become more real to you than He has ever come to you before in your entire life, and your weary soul will be restored. God is with us. He is our shepherd. If we allow him, he will shepherd every moment of every day for us and he will speak to us. We can hear the things that he's telling us to do, the direction that he's giving us. So I want to ask you what I said earlier. Take a week and try to do things differently. Start down some new patterns in your walk with the Lord. It'll make all the difference in the world. A lot of the tenseness that we're feeling right now is because there's a lot of craziness going on. Allow the good shepherd to relieve you of that stress and of that pressure that you're dealing with. Only he can do it. You can, only he can. So church, let's learn to lean into him. Let's allow him to shepherd us the way he wants to shepherd us. Let's give him the reins of our life. Let's allow him lordship over us. Sometimes that's easier said than done. It's just really a matter of humbling yourself and realizing, as I said a couple weeks ago, he's so much smarter than we are. Why would we not put our lives into his capable hands? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time you've given us to be together. Thank you for your presence being here so strongly in this place. Thank you for your presence being in our lives. Those of us who have been redeemed by the blood, we have your spirit that indwells us and we thank you for that. Now, Lord, help us to listen to your spirit. Help us to be guided by your Spirit. Help us to do the things you've asked us to do and to do them well and not question, but to, in boldness and in strength and surety, know that if you've asked us to do something, God, you've ordained it and you will provide and you will bless us in every way possible. So Lord, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that you would, your Spirit would go with us, guiding and direct our steps. pray that you will help us to be bright lights in a very dark world. Help us, Lord, to share your goodness with other people who so desperately need it and help us to allow you to truly shepherd every moment of our life. I thank you for this time together. Thank you for your blessings. I ask you to keep us safe until we gather together again. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.